Church, go ahead and take a seat, and let's turn together, if we could, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in the book of Psalms, as we continue our series, Summer in the Psalms. Last week, I got to preach one of my favorite psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 110. Today, I get to preach my wife's favorite song. No pressure. Yesterday, I gave her my notes to, to proof my uh, application questions. She proofed them and gave them back to me, and she gave me that don't mess this up kind of look. <laughs> Your spouse ever give you one of those looks? She gave me one of those yesterday about Psalm 139. Psalm 139, what is this psalm about? What is this psalm about? Well, it's a psalm about God's all-knowing nature. David meditates on the truth that there's nowhere to hide from God's ever-present gaze. He sees us. And, and you get the sense that, as you read this, that maybe David would like to escape the Lord. But he can't, because God is everywhere. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run. God is everywhere, and he sees everything. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? I heard Tim Keller say once, when he first got married, that he and his wife made this decision. At, at first, they were going to share every little sin in their heart with one another and be absolutely transparent with one another. Every lust, every sin, every piece of anger they had towards one another. And they did that for a little while, and then, you know, they started driving each other crazy with that. And, and they made a decision at some point, we've got to stop doing this or we're, we're not going to make it in this marriage. You know, let's just speak in generalities about what we're struggling with and share with instead of specifics because some of those angry things, they just kind of come and go and it's not great to, to fester. And here's what Keller concluded. He concluded that it's impossible in a marriage, in a marriage situation, to, to know someone else absolutely and love them absolutely. It's impossible to know them 100% and love them 100%. And so they said, you know, let's just speak in generalities about what we're struggling with. Otherwise, we're going to drive each other crazy. Probably you've had some experience like that in your marriage where you're like, okay, yeah, don't tell me everything because you're driving me crazy. And yet still, even with that, and marriage is about as good as you can get in terms of intimacy, Still, even with that, we have this desire inside of us to be fully known and fully loved. We want that. And, and we can't get that in marriage. We can't get that in friendship. We can't get that in work. We can't get that with our children. Please try, don't try to get that from your children. You'll drive them crazy. How, where do we find this absolute love and absolute knowledge of who we are? Well, can I tell you what Psalm 139 is about? It's about this. It's about a God who knows everything about you. Everything. Every secret in your heart, every dark thought in your mind, mind, every evil deed you've ever done. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you absolutely. And yet that same God, he loves you absolutely. How can he, how can he love me that much when he knows that much about me? He knows you 100%. He knows you absolutely, and then he loves you. Is that attractive to you? Is that something you might be interested in? That's what Psalm 139 is about. And David offers this praise him to the Lord, worshiping God as the one who fully knows him and fully loves him. 
Let's do this. I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word, can we? And let me read this psalm from start to finish. And you can see these things for yourself. Church of God, the word of God says this, Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not darkness to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your, are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, thank you for your word. I pray that these truths would penetrate our hearts, would sink deep inside of us. And that we would be hearers and doers of your word. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, church. I'm entitling this message today, Magnifying My Maker, Part 1. And I say Part 1 because I won't be able to get through this entire psalm today. There's just too much going on here. So what I want to do is look at verses 1 through 12 today. And then next week I'll cover verses 13 through 24. And today, in these first 12 verses, what I want to do, I want to say four things about this psalm. I want to give you four reasons, church, to magnify your maker. Four reasons. Write these down. Here's number one. Magnify your maker because of his omniscience. 
because of his omniscience. Omni is the Latin word for all. Scientia is the Latin word for knowledge. Therefore, omniscience means all-knowing or all-knowledgeable. Believe it or not, I actually learned that when I was eight years old. You know who taught me that? My VBS teachers. And they walked me through the etymology of that term and what it meant and, that meant. and they told me that God knows all about me and he still loves me. Don't you love your VBS teachers, don't you now? They're great. I learned all about omniscience. And here's how David describes God's omniscience in verse 1. He says, O Lord, Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Does that sound invasive to you? Does that, found a, does that feel a little too close for comfort that God knows everything about you? Does that sound maybe a little bit suffocating to you that God knows you this intimately? It did for me when I was eight years old. I didn't want God knowing all of my business. I liked keeping things private. And even now I have this tendency, and maybe you do too, to compartmentalize, right? Here's this thing over here, Lord, you can have this thing, thing, thing over here, right here. But this thing over here, God, you can't have that. That's mine. You got to stay away from that. God doesn't work that way. He knows everything, and he's in charge of everything. He's omniscient. There's nothing that can be kept secret from the Lord. And besides that, he's a personal God. He's not just some big cosmic computer in the sky crunching numbers about your life and keeping track of your life. He's intimately invested in your life. And David describes that in verse 1. You have searched me. David says, that Hebrew word is chakar, and it means to explore, to search out, even to probe. That's a word that's used in Judges 18 to, to describe spies who go to the land to explore the land. This is what God does in our hearts. He, he explores our hearts. He probes our hearts. It's not like God is not a deist God, like, like the God of Thomas Jefferson, He's not somebody who's a, a clockmaker who just kind of winds the clock and then walks away from it and leaves it to run. That's not how God is. God is personal. He is near. He is close. He is involved in our lives. He's active in our lives even. Here's a couple theological terms for you. This, this is important. This is another thing that those little old ladies taught me in VBS about 30 years ago. So let me play the part today of a little old lady for you. The Bible teaches us about a God who is both imminent and transcendent. Are you all familiar with those terms? Imminent means close. God is close. He is near. He's invested. He's in our business. And then transcendent also means that God is wholly other. He dwells in inapproachable light. He's close, but he's away. He's wholly other, but he's near at hand. God is both, and he's described as both in the Bible. He's imminent, and he's transcendent. Everybody got it? Just give me your thumbs up if, if you got that. And David is describing both of those aspects of God in this psalm. David says, he searches me out. That's what God does. He knows me that intimately. Verse 3, David says, you search out my path and my lying down. Now, this is a different Hebrew word for search out than verse 1. This is the Hebrew word, Zarah, which means to winnow or to scatter. It, it reinforces the idea that God's sovereign over our lives. He's omniscient, but he's also sovereign over our paths. You search out my paths. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Look at verse four. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. I'm not preaching this sermon for God's benefit. He already knows what I'm going to say. I'm doing it for your benefits. God already knows what you're going to say before the words are even formed in your mouth. Does that, does that make you feel a little claustrophobic? Like, you know, God, you know, does it make you feel like Daniel Boone? I need some elbow room here. God, can you give me some space? Why are you so close? Even before your heart forms the words, the letters that form into words, that form into sentences, that you talk, God knows what you're going to say. How does he know that? Well, God is timeless, so nothing surprises him. God never says, oops, I wasn't expecting that. God, God is never surprised by the events in this world, but I think, I think David's actually getting at something else here. Not only is God timeless, not only does God know what we're going to say before we're going to say it, he knows what's in your heart that's going to form those words before you say them. That's how intimately he knows you. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus would say. God knows the overflow of our heart even before we say something. How do you feel about that, Harvest Decatur? Does, does, that, does that make you feel, I don't know, smothered? Or is there a comfort in that? Let's just think about this for a second, because, you know, as David's describing this God, is, is this a good thing for David? Is he describing something positive? That was actually the big question as I read commentaries this week on this passage. Is, is Psalm 139 a praise song that David's offering to the Lord? Or is this a lament? God knows everything about me. Even before I say something, he knows what I'm going to say. What's going on here? Is it a praise song or is it a lament? Here's my take on this. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think David's wrestling with a God who he wishes he had more distance from. And in, I say that, forgive me if I'm reading my own experiences into this. I say that I think that because I've felt like that at times in my life. Anybody else felt like that? Like, God, can you, can you give me some space? Can I go do something secretly? Can I be away from you for a little while? Maybe we want that in theory, but then when we get it, which we can't get it, it's not that great. And so I, I see David wrestling with this. I, I see David saying, God, sometimes I wish you weren't so God-like. Could you be a little less like God for me? And of course, God can't. He's omniscient. He knows everything. By the way, here's another one of those, here's another thing that one, those uh, little old ladies in my VBS class taught me. Can I share some more about this? Those little old lo ladies, as they were teaching my VBS class, they told me, Tony, even if you're doing something that we don't know about, God knows about it. Even if you're doing something that the pastor doesn't know about, God knows about it. Even if you do something that your parents don't know about, God knows about it. And he sees it. Thanks a lot, little old ladies. <laughs> you just made sin a lot less enjoyable. He sees me all the time. Whew. Can I share something else traumatic about my childhood? I, I had a really traumatic childhood, as you can tell. Here's something else that happened. When I was just a little guy, three, four years old, young, 
my parents told me that Santa Claus was a hoax. Can you believe that, the nerve of them? Next time they come here, I want y'all to give them grief for that. <laughs> Telling a little three-year-old that, and, and we'd sing these songs, and they'd be fun little songs. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You know what my mom would say about that? She'd say, that song's dumb. <laughs> there is no Santa Claus. And he doesn't know when you're good or bad. I know when you're good or bad, though, she would say. And here's what else they would do, my parents. They basically told us what David says in Psalm 139. They'd say, listen, kids, you know, there is somebody who knows when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. There is someone who knows when you've been bad or good. And it's not Santa Claus. And ultimately, it's not us either. It's the Lord. They taught us good theology. He knows it. And, and maybe they told us that so that we would behave even when they weren't watching. But maybe they also told us that so that we would embrace the truth about God that's recorded in the word that God is omniscient. Here's another thing. Here's another reason to magnify the Lord. Also his omnipotence. Omni meaning all, potence meaning powerful. God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. If you've spent any time in this church, if you've spent any time reading your Bible, you know this about God, that he is all powerful. He is an all powerful being. He is not a graven image made by human hands. And he is not a semi-deified being like who the Romans and the Greeks worshiped as little g gods. He is the all-sovereign, all-powerful ruler of the world. That is the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, and that is our God. Can I get an amen, church? Our God is one. Our God is one. And you might, you might remember last week, I was, I was telling you in Psalm 110, that the kings in David's day, they had this requirement from the law, from the book of Deuteronomy, actually, that they read the book of the law daily. Actually, here's what it says. You can read this on the screen, Deuteronomy 17. It says about the king, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it should be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So this was the command that was given to David as king. So David, he's, he's, he had to write his own copy of the law. He had to read it daily. He had to study it. He had to memorize it even at different sections. And so David, here's why I'm pointing this out in Psalm 139. Let's assume that David obeyed that command. David would have known all about the sovereign, all-powerful God of the Israelites, Yahweh. He would have read the book of Genesis and the God who created the entire world in six days. He would have read the account of Noah, Genesis 6 through 8, and the flood that destroyed everybody except for Noah's small family. He would have read about how God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and settled them in the promised land, the place where even now David, writing Psalm 139, is king in that promised land. And David would have been very, very familiar with the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. And the reason I point this out to you is this. This is an applicational point. The reason Psalm 139 speaks so accurately and truly about God is because David knew the word of God. He studied the book of the law. 
And from that, as he's writing, derives all of this good theology, all this truth about God. David knows God because he read God's word. Let me ask you, Harvest Decatur, where's your theology come from? Does it come from the truth of God's word or not? Do you, like David, study God's word and because of that, you receive and believe the truth about who God is? I, I want to be more like David in Psalm 139. I want to know God's word and write accurately about who God is. Speaking of good theology, David says this in verse 5. He says, you hem me in, Lord, behind and before, and lay your hand, literally your palm, upon me. This language here, the Hebrew for him in, it's, it's actually a word that means besiege or encircle. It's military language. David is saying, you, O Yahweh, have conquered me. You are in charge of me. You are omnipotent. You lay your palm upon me. The Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, he says it this way about this expression, you hem me in before and behind. He says, when, when one rests his hand on another, the object is decisively under the subject's control, not his own. The gesture of laying one's hand on another exhibits full authority. David's saying, God, you have full authority over my life. You are omnipotent. Now again, let's ask the question, is this a good thing for David or a bad thing? David can't escape the sovereign control of God in his life. Maybe at times he doesn't like that. But most of the time, and I hope this is true for you, God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence is comforting. God is in control. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign over my life. And nothing you can do or anybody else can do can supplant God's sovereign plan for our lives. That should be a comfort to you. The great Baptist missionary to China, Lonnie Moon, she said it this way, she said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. That's good theology right there. I, what is she saying there? I can't die till God says it's time for me to die. I'm immortal until my work is done. And you know what? She needed that, Lottie Moon, because she was a missionary to China. She was surrounded by hostile people and danger everywhere. And she went in there with courage, trusting God. I'm immortal until my work is done, until God calls me home. That's the attitude that we should have. And if you're confused about that, if you're wondering about that, like how does God's sovereignty interact with my, my own human choice and human responsibility, if you're confused about that, maybe have a hard time making sense of it, you're not alone. Because look what David says in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it is high. I cannot attain it. In other words, I don't know how God's sovereignty comes together with human responsibility, but it, I don't know how God's sovereignty works, but it works, and it's there. I don't know how it all comes together. It's too high for me. I cannot attain it. I don't know either how God is both imminent and transcendent, like I said earlier. I don't know how some of these things come together. It's too high for me. We're on a need-to-know basis, and some things we, we don't need to know, I guess. But I believe what the Bible says about these things, and I trust that God is indeed sovereign and in control of our lives. He is indeed imminent and transcendent, as the Bible says. 
Go ahead and write this down as number three. Here's another reason for us to magnify the name of the Lord. Here's another term that those little old ladies in BBS taught me. His omnipresence. God's omnipromise. God's omnipresence. David writes this in verse seven. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? In other words, you're everywhere, God. You're omnipresent. There's no escaping your presence. There was a prophet in the Old Testament who tried to escape God's presence. Do y'all remember that prophet? Jonah was a prophet. Woo-hoo, right? So Jonah tried to escape God's presence. And, you know, if you read the book of Jonah, you, you get the sense that Jonah wasn't the smartest prophet or the sharpest knife in the drawer. Because what did Jonah do? You know, God called him to go to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got in a boat, and he went as far away as ne- from Nineveh as humanly possible at that time. He went to Tarshish. Why? So that he could flee from the presence of the Lord. How'd that work out for Jonah? You know what Jonah, he should have done, he should have read his Bible. He should have read Psalm 139, where David, 250 years before Jonah, said, where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, Jonah, you can't escape God's presence. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Jonah had to get thrown into the sea and swallowed by a whale to figure that out. David says in verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. You know, those destinations are even more otherworldly than Nineveh and Tarshish. If I go up to heaven, God, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave in Sheol, God, you are there. Sheol, by the way, is the abode of the dead, or sometimes it's translated hell in your English Bibles. More often, it's a reference to the grave or to the abode of the dead. And David is hyperbolizing here. People in Sheol don't make their beds. It's poetry. He's exaggerating to make a point. This is extreme language. This is David's way of saying, I can't escape you, God. Wherever I go, you are there. You're omnipresent. And here's the question for us again. Is David, is this a good thing for David? Is he lamenting this? I can't get away from you, God. Or is this a good thing that we can't escape from God? Listen, listen, Harvesticator, I want to be clear about this. It may sound like David begrudges the Lord here, and maybe at times he does. I can't get away from you. I can't have a moment's peace. I can't go to somewhere where you're not. But eventually, David gets to the place where he sees all of this, God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, God's omnipotence as inherently good. It is good that God is these things. And he embraces this truth as a comfort, and it should be a comfort to you, Christian. There is a sovereign power in this world, and it is in us. It's the God of the universe. And it should be comforting. There's a parallel here to what's going on with David, to what David is saying with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, after they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil? What did they try to do? They tried to hide. It's adorable. (laughs) Who hides from God? 
It'd be even more adorable if it wasn't so sad and devastating. And, you know, they, they felt their, their sin and their shame, and they tried to cover it up with, with leaves that must have been incredibly uncomfortable, covering themselves with leaves, the shame that they felt. You can't hide from God. And what does God do in his mercy? God comes to them, and he clothes them with garments purchased by blood. And he covers over their sin and their shame. That's what God did. There's no hiding from God, Harvest Decatur. There's no hiding from him. He is everywhere. There's no hiding your sin from him. But there is a covering. There is a covering of our sin and our shame, and it was purchased by Christ's blood. That is the remedy for your sin. Not hiding, not running from it, but embracing by faith what Jesus has done for you, his death that covers your sin. David says in verse nine, he says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The uttermost parts of the sea, that might as well have been the dark side of the moon for the Israelites. Because in their day, they didn't, I mean, they didn't have a, a navy that circumnavigated the globe like the Spanish did in the 16th century or like the British did in the 17th and 18th century. The sea was for the Israelites that, that great unknown. If you could escape anywhere from God, it would be in the sea. And David says, I, I can't even escape from in the sea. And he says, even there, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Even on the dark side of the moon, God, you are leading me. God, you are protecting me. God, you are even holding me up. Now, this is a turning point in the psalm. I want you all to see this in verse 10. Maybe there, maybe there was kind of a good and bad. Maybe there was a bit of a lament with David earlier. Like, I can't get away from you, but right now it's good. Even on the dark side of the moon, even in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand leads me and your right hand shall hold me. These are words of comfort and confidence that God is going to take care of him no matter what. This is good, Lord. You're a good God taking care of me. Even when I try to run from you, you're there leading me and protecting me. You know what this brought to mind as I read it this week from the New Testament? It brought to mind this. Jesus' words in John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Is that you, church? Are you one of Jesus' sheep? If so, then nobody's taken you away from Jesus. Nobody's taken you out of his hand. Paul says similarly in Romans 8 about those who belong to God. He says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What do you think about that, church? What do you think about that? Some of you might even think back to a time in your life when you wanted to run from God, when you tried to run from God, when you tried to escape him, and God in his mercy kept bringing you back and bringing you back and bringing you back. You belong to me. You belong to me. And you're not going anywhere. And then there's this, number four. We should magnify our maker because of his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. Here's the final reason we should magnify him because of his purity. David writes in verse 11, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. If you're a little confused about what all is going on there, you're not alone. Even in Hebrew, I was like, what's going on here? Let me paraphrase. Here's what David's saying. God, you are unaffected by darkness. Your goodness and your light illuminate everywhere that you go. Every dark place in my heart, every dark place that's before me, I may be dark. I may have darkness inside of me, but God, you are untouched by that. You illuminate my darkness, David says. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds an awful lot like the gospel of John and the passage that Brandon read already today. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Who's the light in John 1? Who's the word who became flesh and dwelt among us? It's Jesus, the light of the world. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with thee. There's no darkness with God. God dispels the darkness. I know I've mentioned a lot of technical terms already in this sermon already. Let me just mention one more. I promise this will be the last one. Theologians, when they look at the attributes of God, they like to differentiate the attributes of God into two categories. They speak of God's communicable attributes and God's incommunicable attributes. How many of y'all have heard that, this terminology before? Maybe I've used this before. And communicable, it's like a communicable disease. You can catch it. Incommunicable, you can't. And there are certain aspects of God's character. There are certain attributes that God has that are incommunicable. There's no much, it doesn't matter how much time you spend with God. You're not going to catch this. You're not going to act like this. You're not going to imitate this. And I've already given you three, three attributes of God that you will never have. Omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with God. You'll never be omnipotent. I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. It's true. God is God and you are not. 
You'll never be omnipresent. You'll never be omniscient. You'll never be omnipotent like God. Those are incommunicable attributes of God. But there are attributes of God that are communicable. You can catch them by spending time with God. You can appropriate them, not perfectly, but partially. Holiness is a great example of that. Can we be holy like God is holy? Yes, we can be holy, not perfectly, but partially. In fact, we are commanded in the Bible, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what God tells us. First Peter, Leviticus, it's a communicable attribute. Another example of a communicable attribute is God's goodness. We can be good like God is good. Not perfectly, not exactly like God, but partially. In fact, that's a fruit of the Spirit. We can love like God loves. Love is a communicable attribute. We can be kind like God is kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, God put His Spirit inside of us. Anybody got the Holy Spirit inside of them this morning? I hope so. If you know Jesus, you do. God put His Holy Spirit inside of you so that you could demonstrate some of these communicable attributes. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. God wants you to be more like Him with those attributes. Now, here's why I mention this. This morning, I've given you four attributes of God, basically, in this message from Psalm 139. I've given you three incommunicable attributes, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. And I've given you one that you can imitate. You can be like God. And it's purity. And the application for this message really is this. Magnify the Lord for his omnipotence because you're not going to be omnipotent. Magnify God for his omniscience because you're not going to be omnipotent. And then magnify God for his purity. But don't just magnify him for it. Be like him. Be a light bearer. Like God is a light bearer. Lighting up the dark places of this world. Everybody with me? Are you tracking with me? Let me hammer this home. Jesus Christ said this. Echoing maybe Psalm 139. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. You know what else Jesus said? You know what else he told us, his disciples? He said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light, let your purity, let your goodness, let your holiness in the darkness of this world, let it shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God wants you to be pure. God wants you to be a light bearer in this world. C.S. Lewis said it this way, a mere Christianity. He said, if we let him, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now, now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. This is what God calls us to, nothing else. And he meant what he said about this. You want to worship God, Harvest Decatur? You want to magnify your maker? Praise God for his omniscience. Praise God for his omnipotence. Take comfort in that. Praise him for his omnipresence and his purity.
and then get to work imitating that purity, that light bearing, that being a light in the dark places of this world. I've heard a lot of negativity recently in the Christian social media platform places. I've heard a lot of people speak about purity as a negative thing, as a byword for something twisted and evil. And let me just say on the record, I think that is a mistake. The problem with a lot of purity culture isn't purity, it's purity without grace. God wants us to be pure. God wants us to be light bearers in the dark places of this world. So, let me close with this. Let me go back to where I started with Psalm 139. If you remember, I told you that Tim Keller and his wife, they decided early on in their marriage, they're not going to share every little detail of their marriage with each other because it's, it's too heavy a burden. It's too hard in a marriage situation to be fully known and to be fully loved. And in some ways, it's almost like making your spouse your savior. And so Keller decided, we're not going to do that. We're just going to speak in generalities. But then Keller says this, we still, though, we still have this desire to be fully known and to be fully loved. It's this human thing. We want to be fully known and fully loved. Here's the problem, though. Here's what Keller says. He says, there are people who think that you're awesome but that's because they don't really know you. Because if they really knew everything about you, even your own children, they wouldn't like you that much. I think it's Tommy Nelson who said, if I knew about you, what you knew about you, I wouldn't let you in the building. If you knew about me, what I know about me, you wouldn't let me preach to you. Something like that is going on. And yet we still have this desire. We still want to be fully known. And fully loved in this world. And Keller says there's nobody on the face of the earth who would know you to the bottom of yourself who could love you to the skies. When someone likes you but doesn't know you, that's not satisfying. When somebody knows you but doesn't like you, that's definitely not satisfying. We want to be utterly known and utterly loved. And who can do that? Who can know you to the depth of your being, every hidden thing in your heart and yet still loves you. Psalm 139 is about that. It's about a God who knows David all the way through, every dark part, and yet still loves him. In God, church, in Christ Jesus who died for your sins, you can be fully known and fully loved. Receive that. Believe that. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you that you know me to the bottom and love me to the skies.
God, you have searched me. Every part of me. You know the words that I'm going to speak before I utter them. You know every hidden thing in my heart. And yet you love me. You died for me. God, I want to praise you and thank you for your your sovereignty, for your power. And also thank you for the love that you offer me, a love like no one else, no one in this world. And God, I want to pray for the brothers and sisters here who maybe they struggle with one side or the other of that. A God who knows their, them intimately. and Maybe they even question God's love. How can God love me when he knows me so well? And yet you do, Lord. You have clothed us with garments of righteousness purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. Help us to see ourselves that way. God, thank you for this truth. Psalm 139, I pray for wisdom. I pray for these truths, Lord, to ruminate in our hearts, for us to think them out, live them out, be comforted by them, I pray. Do that work, Holy Spirit. Let's stand together, let's sing together.